Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on uh, this Tuesday morning, uh, the 21st of June, as uh, we make our way for the next three hours through to uh, midday when Mark Stafford takes over with his uh, afternoon show. Uh, we've got uh, an interesting show this morning. Interesting in that uh, we don't quite know what's happening from time to time. We know uh, we want to be speaking to, to Māori Martin. We hope to do that in the first uh, half hour. Uh, of course, this is one of the great stories in not just rugby league, but in sport, really. I mean, here's a young kid who at the age of what 23 was told that he should never play contact sport again uh, because he they weren't happy with uh, a situation. He had a, a bleed on the brain. Uh, and now all, all of a sudden he's uh, lining up to be the fullback perhaps for the Kiwis against Tonga at the weekend. It's a heck of a story of, of a comeback uh, through the Brisbane Ron- Broncos who are having a heck of a season as well. So uh, looking forward to perhaps talking to Tamari Martin at some stage in the next half an hour, 40 minutes. Uh, we're going to invite uh, you at any stage actually for calls and texts on a number of issues this morning. Um, I, I still haven't really got over, I, I wasn't at work yesterday, I haven't got over uh, the weekend, really, to be fair, uh, that uh, absolute resounding hammering uh, by the Crusaders of the Blues. So uh, what does it uh, change your mind in respect of uh, perhaps some of those All Blacks? Now that you see the best on the best matchups that were key matchups, uh, does it change your mind on the, the makeup of Ian Foster's first All Black squad to play against uh, Ireland? Uh, that could be one of our uh, talking points this morning as well. Uh, as Matt Fitzpatrick, a uh, young Englishman, winning uh, the US Golf Open. And uh, really was quite interesting on a very, very tough golf course. So uh, plenty to talk about there this morning. And text us on double eight double three. Our phone line, of course, 0800 150 811. Um, we're going to go inside the Kiwi Ferns camp uh, after 10 o'clock. Uh, we haven't exactly uh, finalised who we're going to be talking to, but we will be talking about the fact that they're back together with a prospect of a very big crowd to play in front of uh, this weekend in the doubleheader uh, against Tonga. So uh, that should be thrilling. At 10.21, we know that uh, Lavina Good will be with us and Hamish Bidwell, a number of uh, subjects to talk about there. Uh, we might uh, try and get a Black Caps, uh, Black Caps update for, from training in Leeds, maybe uh, a clip or two from a press conference there. Of course, they're heading uh, towards that test match at Headingley. Lost the series 2-0, but of course, they're still, as they say, plenty to play for. Uh, just after 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to New Zealand selection manager Gavin Larson because hot off the press, uh, he has just released uh, two sides or two squads to play uh, one-day internationals against Ireland and T20s against uh, Ireland, Scotland and the Netherlands. So uh, we'll go through those squads with you very shortly. We'll have a stump smithy as usual just uh, after 11.30 as we make our way through. 
to midday this morning. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, some punters made some serious wedge on the Crusaders uh, over the weekend in late bets, but those who backed them at the start of the season to continue that remarkable, remarkable run had to be patient, but in the end, they reaped the rewards. It, it wasn't always a sure thing. It seemed there were some stumbles and hiccups along the way, but the last fortnight when they had to be brilliant, they were, because that's what they do. And even if you need further evidence that their coaching system is superior, look across the waters to France, where La Rochelle became European champions under the guidance of head coach Ronan O'Gara, phenomenal player who chose to spend some nursery time as a coach with who? The Crusaders. Asked about his instant success, he paid tribute to the Crusaders and their KBA philosophy, keep the ball alive. The French love it, are pretty handy at using it, as the evidence is starting to show. And now we hear that Andrew Goodman, the impressive assistant coach at the Crusaders, is off to Leinster to impart knowledge, but develop his trade as well. So the web continues to widen. Goodman will be back, quite possibly, as Razor's replacement in a year or two. Humo Pablo Montero is going back home with a medal, incredibly the first title success he's ever been part of. And underrated halfback Bryn Hall is off as well. What a servant he has been. If he's the sixth best halfback in this country on current ratings, have we ever been stronger at number nine? But that's about it, folks. The status quo remains for the others. They'll be back again. I checked to see if the TAB had uh, put up an early market for next season. They haven't. But I'll be checking every morning. I want dibs at that opening call because it will only get smaller. And I don't care if the Aussies want to take their bat and ball and stay home. They won't be a factor in the equation. Okay, so uh, hopefully getting to Tamari Martin very shortly. But I'll, I'll just run through these two squads that uh, Gavin Larson and uh, Gary Stead have come up with for these. Uh, uh, they're quite important because they're part of the development, and particularly the T20 uh, side of things, um, going forward for the World Cup, which is getting ever so close, actually, to be fair. So the squad for Ireland is uh, Tom Latham, Finn Allen, Michael Bracewell, Dane Cleaver, Jacob Duffy, Lockie Ferguson, Martin Guptill, Matt Henry, Adam Milne, Henry Nichols, Glenn Phillips, Mitchell Santner, East Sodi, Blair Tickner, and Will Young. They are departing posts. That Some of those guys are departing post the one-day internationals, so they won't be there for the T20 side of things, which probably indicates that they're not really much part of the T20 thinking going forward. The Black Caps squad for Ireland, Scotland, and the Netherlands. These are the T20 side of things. Uh, Mitchell Santner, Finn Allen, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Dane Cleaver, Lockie Ferguson, Martin Guptill, uh, and Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Jimmy Neesham, Glenn Phillips, Michael Rippon, Michael Rippon, new one, Ben Sears, East Sodi, and Blair Tickner. So uh, interesting names there in those particular squads. Going forward, uh, Michael Rippon's an interesting story. Uh, having moved to New Zealand from South Africa in 2013 to play for Otago, He's 30 years of age as a Dutch passport holder, so uh, he could have already, uh, um, you know, been playing for the, the Netherlands and um, has recently played against the Black Caps in three one-day internationals at Bay Oval and Seddon Park. So that's an interesting one as well. Uh, I notice um, when it comes to the big boys, there's uh, no Tim Southey. Is uh, looking just very quickly at these squads. There's no 
uh, Trent Bolt, Tim Salvi, of course, uh, Cole Jamison is recovering from injury. And uh, obviously there's uh, no Kane Williamson either. So, you know, they uh, are squads that should get the job done against those uh, four sides. So we'll talk to uh, Gavin Larson about that. Further development for Wellington Firebirds, Young Guns, Finn Allen and Ben Sears. Chance to make their uh, one-day international debuts as well. Gavin Larson saying it's uh, really exciting to be embarking on these tours to the developing nations. Uh, with more full member nations playing them both home and away, we're seeing how much they're improving, and we know they'll fancy their chances in their own conditions. So there's a possibility of an upset, but you wouldn't uh, think that that would be the case. Good chance, too, for Dane Cleaver, who's uh, already, as we know, uh, in the uh, the United Kingdom with our Black Cap squad preparing for this test match. He won't get a run there unless there's a late injury to Tom Blundell, but he should get some uh, ample game time there. And Blair Tickner, of course, in the same boat. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Blair Tickner comes into the thinking for Headingley, actually, because uh, the re- one of the reasons they replaced him in that way was that, of course, he could, uh, in fact, go uh, and go on a, a surface that might have bounce. And that's what they lack with Kyle Jamieson, of course, out. They don't have bounce. They're more swing bowlers, uh, seam bowlers. He's a bounce bowler, Blair Tickner. He's a very tall young lad. Uh, so they might just think about him for that uh, test match. Uh, against um, England, the third one. It can't be a squandered opportunity. They've got to continue to try and use these opportunities full-time. In fact, I came up with a team that I'd pick uh, against um, England. I was thinking about it last night. I play Latham and Young at the top. Um, uh, there was a bit of speculation about uh, whether Will Young should be an opening batsman, but he, he had two impressive knocks in the last test, to be fair. Uh, and uh, Tom Latham's the one that is struggling there, 40-something runs in four innings. Now, then you've got Kane Williamson, of course, he'll come back in, um, providing he's fit, and COVID has disappeared completely out of his system, as is the case with Conway. And I'd name this side on the basis that all these guys are available. So I go Williamson at three, Conway at four, Mitchell at five, Blundell at six, which means there's no room for Henry Nichols in my side. Uh, tough, uh, he's been a good campaigner, but at the moment, he's just not on the form that Daryl Mitchell is either, and he's not certainly uh, as good a player as, as Williamson and Conway. So for me, unless he's prepared to open or they pump Conway up to open and put Nichols in the uh, middle order. I don't think any Nichols gets a run in this team. I'll stay with Bracewell at seven. Uh, I think Michael Bracewell showed enough to develop there. And if you're going to play Neil Wagner, which I certainly hope they do, goodness me, uh, let's, let's be fair. Um, and then Wagner is with his left arm over will be running down that side of the pitch. Bracewell can exploit that as a spinner. Uh, Southey, even though he had a poor test, no problem at all. Uh, Tim Southey stays in the group. Um, and I put Tickner in and Trent Bolt. So that would be my 11 to start against England this weekend at Headingley. So uh, just getting the thumbs up. Uh, we're hearing anything at the moment. Um, no, we're not. So what, what we'll do is we'll take a short break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll uh, come up with something for you, I'm sure. 9.13. It is uh, 9.19 here on SENZ. Yeah, we're going to take uh, your calls throughout the, the next uh, 25, 30 minutes, if you like, on uh, any matter that you'd like. Uh, can, we can talk cricket if you want to, uh, the naming of those black cap squads, or how do you think uh, we should line up for the next Test match starting at Headingley at the weekend? Uh, looking back on, of course, you know, the weekend uh, that was in uh, rugby, I... I really haven't had uh, too much of a chance to chat about it, but uh, I'd love to. Not for the fact that we uh, we got the Crusaders up as predicted, but the fact that there were some interesting matchups and where some players were at the weekend and where they weren't. Um, so I'd love to, love to hear uh, your opinion on that and have you changed your mind on any particular 
uh, aspect of that All Black squad that uh, Ian Foster has named. Uh, do you think, for instance, that anyone is seriously unlucky? I think Cullen Grace, for me, Cullen Grace is uh, just unbelievably unlucky. I don't know. I think he's had such a season for the Crusaders. Uh, and I just can't, um, I just can't fathom the fact that he's not uh, regarded in, in that group of loose forwards with the way that he performed there. So that's uh, it's uh, one area of, of interest that uh, we could perhaps talk about. So our number is 0800-150-811. 0800-150-811 is our phone number. Uh, I'd love to hear from you uh, in that respect. Uh, I've had a few texts come in. Uh, Kiora Smithy should have picked the All Black squad the day after the final. Certainly should have named it then, I think, anyway. Uh, and then you get some players who have picked that play better with a black jersey on and others who had the same situation last year or this year as players, their preferred position, no chopping and changing. I think that's a very good point too. I think you've got to, to look at those particular areas of strength um, and uh, then I think you, you've got to continue to develop those. So... Um, yeah, I, I look at that particular position there with, with Cullen Grace. And I also thought that uh, David Harvey completely and utterly showed what number 12 should do uh, as, op- as opposed to uh, who, uh, you know, how Roger Tuivasa-Shek was. OK, he didn't get a lot of front football, but he was subbed very early on in the piece, very early on in the piece. So uh, we'll just, uh, I, I think we'll just uh, take that as, as uh, a development phase for Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Now then, uh, Joey, what's the situation? Have we got uh, a caller on the line there? Actually, yeah, about to join some... us. Um, we, we just, uh, we're just chatting to him on the phone. We're about to put him on. Oh, we've got uh, Tamari Martin, have we? Okay, so we'll put those calls on hold. And uh, finally, we'll be able to talk to uh, Tamari Martin. Of course, um, this Saturday marks the return of the Kiwis uh, to New Zealand as they face an imposing Tongan team at Mount Spart Stadium. There are plenty of storylines, but the best, I think, is Tamari Martin. Of course, the Broncos fullback. Came back to the NRL this season following a year and a two and a half year break uh, due to uh, a serious issue uh, uh, with a bleed on the brain. It's been kind of enough to get us uh, a, a, some time this morning as the Kiwis are in camp. Uh, Tamari Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Thanks for having me in. Yeah. Hey, no, no problem at all, mate. This is a great story. Uh, as you sit amongst the Kiwis uh, preparing for this uh, one-off test against Tonga, uh, you look back at what you've been through in the last uh, two to three years, uh, my friend. Uh, you must be very, very happy and satisfied. Yeah, I am pretty. Um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Probably the um, best word to describe it. But um, even though I haven't had the best um, last three years league-wise being out, it's been a good two and a half years back back home and doing the things I enjoy, pig hunting and surfing and fishing and all that. But um, yeah, my sort of goal was to play some Q Cup this year with with Wynnum and you know play consistently and try and get through the whole year without um, anything happening to my head. Just to test it and sort of got the call up a little bit early to, for the Bronx, the Bronx team just due to injury and that, and it's been pretty cool so far. And obviously got got rewarded um, by being in the Kiwi squad. And I think it's more of a reflection of how our Bronx team is going. We've been going pretty good the last. Seven games, so um, got a few Bronx Bronx boys to to say thank you for for, for being in the squad. Tamari, yours is a great story because uh, it's a it's a situation where you could quite easily have just um, turned your back on it and done those things that you like to do and changed course in life. But what was the trigger point that made you have one go, one more go? Um, 
other than other than running out of money. Um, probably just the, <laughs> just I just missed the, the being in the in the team environment. Just, you know, you when I was back the last two years, you know, a lot of the stuff I was doing was by myself, so um, I got a bit lonely at, at times. But um, yeah, I sort of missed being in the team environment and and being able to train and and gym and play footy for for a job is pretty good and um obviously not everyone gets the opportunity to to be able to do that and um i've got a second i've got a second opportunity so um at the moment i'm just taking it in um day by day and, and really sucking it in because i know how quickly it can be gone well, you've come back into um, Broncos' side, which you've been very much part of their improved performance uh, by the by. Uh, you know, it's been a, a really top season for them this far. What's What's been the key? Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, what was that again? The Broncos, the comeback to the Broncos. What's what, What's been the key to the success for the Broncos this year? Um, I think it was always there, just... Um, Few of those younger boys, the Paynes and Paddy Kerrigans, have have really stood up. They've um, come to an age now and come to games where they're really um, taking the ball by the horns and they're playing well. And I think um, Reynolds and and Kate Wall coming and bringing their experience they've had has has been huge too. And, and the way Kevy's coaching those younger boys and mixing them with the experienced boys has been pretty good. That it gives the boys a lot of confidence and. Anyone knows that um, when you're playing with confidence, you're playing your best footy, and that's what sort of reflects our team at the moment. We're playing with a lot of confidence, and we're doing trying stuff that we want to try. Who's been your biggest influence personally uh, with your play at fullback? Uh, Darius Boyd's around all the time, so I've been asking him a lot of stuff about fullback, and obviously it's still a pretty new position for myself, so I've been asking him questions flat out, and I think he'll be getting sick of me soon, but um, he's, he's pretty open with what he wants to say, and, and um, he's, he's open to teaching me everything I, I want to know as long as I'm asking questions. So he's good to have around, man. So I'm really um, soaking in what he's got to offer because he's been um, one of the quality fullbacks for Broncos in the in the last ten years. So um, I'll be dumb not to not to take his advice. Tamari, uh, now that you're back uh, within the Kiwi camp, of course, uh, you had a, you've had a taste of it before. What's the, the, the get-together? What's the feel been like? I mean, it's been such a long time before since the team has really been together with a purpose. So how's it come together for you guys? Yeah, it's been good. We've only sort of just got together with everyone last night, so uh, we haven't got a training under our belt. The feel in the camp's been pretty good Everyone's excited. There's some older heads in the team, and there's some new new young fellas in there too that are um, full of beans. So um, it's going to be exciting come Saturday, bro. I can tell you that much. What are you expecting from Tonga? Um, everything. They got a good squad. Um, they got some big boys. They got some fast, strong, strong boys. So um, we're going to be on our A game, and um, I know they're definitely going to be on their A game. And, it's going to be a good one to turn on for the crowd because they haven't watched a live game in a while. So um, I think both teams will be trying to rip in for them. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And it's the return to uh, rugby league in New Zealand, really. So it's it's a massive weekend for the for the code because we just on New Zealand soil we just simply haven't seen any for so long. So it, it's huge. Yeah, it is huge. So um, we're excited, and the the fans and and everyone around New Zealand is excited. So. 
Um, like I said before, we, both teams will be looking to put on a good performance for them. Well, mate, it's been good. I know you've got uh, other things to attend to this morning, so uh, we thank you very much for your time. Uh, wish you all the best uh, for the game and the way the squad comes together uh, over the next few days and the game at the weekend war in particular. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you back on New Zealand soil with uh, a Broncos jersey at some stage as well. Thank you, mate, and congratulations on your, your comeback season. It's been great. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Eh? I'll um, speak to Thank you. Thank you very much uh, to Māori Martin there, of course. Uh, who probably will start at fullback for the Kiwis this week um, in that uh, game, that one-off game against Tonga. The Tonga side, very, very strong. Um, and, of course, they'll have, have the same issues uh, as the New Zealand side in terms of getting combinations going. That'll be the... Uh, I think that's the biggest challenge for Michael Maguire, uh, working out exactly what his starting combination is. We spoke to him, didn't we, uh, last week, and it seemed like he had a, a fairly good idea of uh, who he was going to introduce and who was, he was going to nurse uh, through into the group, of course, with the uh, uh, Rugby League World Cup in mind coming up uh, uh, towards the end of the year. So, uh, yeah, it'd be very, uh, I'd love to be part of that crowd. I mean, that will be some atmosphere there with uh, uh, the Women's International as well, uh, the Kiwi Ferns taking on Tonga. And then, of course, you've got that exciting uh, possibility of, uh, <coughs> of the, the Kiwis back in action under Michael Maguire. Uh, going forward against Tonga and uh, what you would expect to be a hell of a physical encounter in front of a very, very passive, uh, not passive, passionate crowd, anything but passive, in fact, a really passionate Tongan-influenced crowd uh, with Kiwi supporters chucked in. Uh, absolutely phenomenal occasion there at Mount Smart over the weekend. Uh, it is coming up 9.30, which means uh, it's time to uh, check in with Araha with our latest update. It is uh, 9.32 here on SENZ, um, and so uh, 0800 150 811. It's uh, the phone number to call in now, and um, any any subject that you're uh, pretty keen to talk about, actually, and I'm prepared to listen to, and uh, our old faithful from Dunedin has called through Dean. Uh, thanks very much for your call this morning, Dean. Didn't get to chat to you yesterday. Uh, what's on your mind today? Oh, well, yesterday I rang up, and I, I was talking about that fabulous Crusaders' performance, and for me it was uh, I just love the fact that rugby union beat rugby league. Now whether that's a coaching thing or I don't know, but that, that was glaringly obvious for me. Like the Blues have played Bull Rush and the Crusaders stages. You couldn't have got a better 80 minutes than what they produced, but that's credit to the coaching staff, the players, the, the players that they have on their roster, the whole thing. But what annoyed me was when people ring up and say, you can't just put the Crusaders in there, you know, that the bats would all look good because they were going forward. But you got to, the, the Blues have got 12 All Blacks, and a, and a fair few of them are up front. So why were the Crusaders allowed to go forward? Like, why are these guys All Blacks? If you can't front for a final in front of a full house, in front of your family and friends at home, how can you wear a black jersey? Like, it. There's no excuse for that. Like they're just not up to it. That's the answer. That's it, isn't it? Well, okay. Let's look at the individual side of things. Uh, who, in particular, Dean, um, did did you think didn't front for the Blues? Well, the front row, Akira Yawani, like I said during the week, or they call him Tap. He's hot and cold. When he's hot, and they're playing ball rush, he looks like rugby league would love him. The Sevens would love him. If you could get him to run around in that, but he was he was non-existent. 
No, absolutely non-existent. I didn't really even hear his name that much. Like, just even if you're defending, you can still be a force in the game. Like the Crusaders defended for how many tackles against the Chiefs, and they still looked like great rugby players. The two that I would have, if Fraser Robertson was asked, out of those the Blues players, what would you do to strengthen your team? Now he's never going to answer this, but I think the only two he would take would be. Dalton Popoliti, definitely. Like, he would have to be close to being the, the player of the season. Him and Ethan are right up there. And Severi Reese, they'd be my three that have really stood up. But young Christie, like, he's just a wee foxy dog, mate. Like, you've you got to love that about him. And there's no disrespect to the Crusaders halfback, because they're both quality lads as well. But I think they would be the only two. If you're just, for a starting 15, I'm talking... Not bench players, because mm. I don't really see Chris as a bench player. I think he has to start, and you want a Fokatava type to finish. I, that's what I think. So I think there's two, but there's twelve All Blacks in that blue side. Like it's not, that's not right. And how do they lose? Dean, how do they lose nine lineouts or ten lineouts? How does how does that happen at this level? Well, I, but, well. Oh, you'd have to ask Leon, but I mean, you can't just blame Acklin because I've always blamed Coltman down here in Otago, but it's not just him. There's a whole, like, Sam Whitelock's just had the game of his life. Like, I was one of the ones saying, you know, can he keep going? Well, clearly he can, but he's got to have everything going with him. And then I heard yesterday that he's he might not be out, he might be out for the series with a broken thumb. Well, does that mean he's just not happy with Forster? Is there something in there that we're not reading, or did I hear that correctly? I'm not I'm not sure. Like he puts his heart and his soul into his province. I sure as hell know he wants to put his heart and his soul into his country. But if he's not playing the Irish series because of a broken thumb, there's something going on that we're not aware of. You don't be Einstein to figure that out. So it's Romano had to start. Dalton properly if you're fit enough to be on the bench and you're as good as the lad is, you start him. You have to start him. You can't, you're not going to catch a final. No one catches finals. You put foot on throat and you leave it there. Otherwise, you get second. Yeah, it's an interesting point, actually. It's a really interesting point about that. Even if he was, uh, his minutes were going to be restricted to, you know, the last, uh, or to 20, 20 minutes or 25 minutes, what did you have the possibility of uh, perhaps not starting him. I mean, and throwing him at the Crusaders and getting that, getting yourself under the front foot early on. Um, and, and then if he wasn't able to make the full 80, so be it because of his recent uh, condition, his conditioning, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's a, a really cool point that you make, actually, uh, Dean. So uh, the other one for me, though, I, I, uh, you know, the front row side of things, uh, four All Blacks in the, in the blue squad, and then you get a situation where uh, some young replacements come on, and and uh, if anything, the Crusaders' dominance became even more evident. Well, you just got to take your hat off to Ryan. Like he took Fiji for two weeks, and they demolished us up front in two tests. Now, if they had the French backline or the Japanese backline for that matter, the All Blacks were getting second in both those games, but they just didn't have the backs to back up what their forwards did. So I'm really, really worried. Like I just put, I just put fifty bucks on it, four dollars on Ireland. It's only 50 bucks. Jeez, I was close in the weekend too, but Taylor got knocked out in the corner. 11 to 20 points and him scoring a try at any time was great money. All my bets in the weekend were so close. Pablo, what a shoulder that was in defence. I was definitely, he's in. But nah, that was for the first try. Missed that. And then to make it worse, yesterday in the golf, Salateros, whatever his name is, I got him at 26 before it started. 
and he got second as well. It is what it is. Yeah. I love it. It is what it is. It is what it is, Dino, and you are what you are, and we appreciate that, mate. Thank you very much for your call this morning. Uh, as always, love your input. Mikey from Christchurch. Mikey, uh, good morning to you. I imagine they're still partying, partying in some areas of Christchurch at the moment. <laughs> oh, mate, I tell you, absolutely. Bloody brilliant, eh? Um, I was yeah. talking to you last week, and it was we bang on about how that rugby show was like four against for the Blues and none against Crusaders. I watched it again, and I've got to say, I was quite happy to see JK do a bit of backpedalling on that show. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's <was> lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, um, the thing that stood out for me was there's been a bit of niggle, a bit of criticism about um, Richie Moanga, Sam Whitelock, a couple of others. And, but when the big game came and the big pressure came, they stood up and they did the business. Um, we're going to have some massive tests, I think, against Ireland, um, certainly against South Africa, et cetera, et cetera. And the old hoary uh, thing's going to come up again, Bowden or Moanga, is Sam too old, et cetera, et cetera. But the big games, these are the guys that we need, isn't it? Because Auckland were under pressure and they didn't show anything. Well, look, it, you, you regard as, a, to me, this is the way I look at it, Mikey, a, a final, a grand final of that situation with that caliber of player to me is akin to a test match you look at it and that's where you you want your, your best players with your individual matchups to dominate one dominate one way or the other well there was only one side that uh, came to the party in that regard uh, if you regard that as test match level one side was of test match quality the other was not of test match quality so then you look at the reason why they were and you go where everyone says up front it's as simple as that you know that's where they won it up front because they never at any stage let the Blues really get on the front foot. They were always backpedalling. They were always getting uh, ball under pressure. They were hit hard in tackles. They couldn't break the defensive line, which they've been able to do against most sides throughout the year. That was predictable that uh, on the defensive effort of the Crusaders against the Chiefs, they would not let much through, Mikey. So, uh, you know, you, you put it down to just good old-fashioned basic rugby. Make your tackles and keep going forward as a pack. Uh, and then the rest will sort of fall into place. And it did, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing. So I've heard a bit of a chat about, well, the Blues' back line couldn't fire because, you know, they didn't get much front forward for, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think is going to happen when we play Ireland? Same thing. Mm. We, I don't think we're going to get much front football, especially if uh, some of the forwards that they look like they're going to be picking. Then whatever back line they pick, if that's the excuse, then we're, <laughs> we're in trouble, aren't we? Maybe. So uh, I think um, I think picking that squad before this game was a miscalculation. Um, so oh, we'll see what we see. Well, we will see what we see, Mikey. Thanks very much for your call this morning. Uh, let's uh, pop uh, a little bit north of Christchurch. In fact, uh, quite a long way north to Palmerston North, where Dave is calling. Uh, Dave, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, Crusaders' performance was immaculate. I think they only made two mistakes. What Dino uh, said, he was, talks a lot of sense, that boy. Yeah, Christy, brilliant. You know, I thought Pierre Freda was pretty good as well out of the All Blacks that were picked prior to the, um, the final. With Bodie, you know, it's and, and Christy, it's hard to go look good when you're going backwards. Um, I, I hope Hoskins Tutu is a, a Ma Nonu type player that when he gets in the All Black environment, he shines a lot more. Um, he might he might be one of those guys. I know they went off him last year. Um, 
the other thing, Smithy, I've got a good mate in Wales who's got his head in the ground. And like if PVAC doesn't perform with Wales and South Africa, they're going to target Robertson. And even England, they might target him as well. You know, what we do to keep him here, I don't think you need to be a coach that has overseas experience to coach the All Blacks. And, you know, like you said, that was as close to a test match as you get on Saturday night. So <laughs> that's, that's uh, in-house overseas experience, if you like. Um, with the Irish, you know, I, I see the All Blacks are a uh, $1.22, and Ireland started at five fifty and now into four twenty five. So were they? Are they really four hundred and twenty eight percent worse than the All Blacks? I don't think so. You know, I really don't think so. I don't know what you think. Well, the TAB um, always uh, frame New Zealand sides on a conservative way because if they frame them too generously, they get hammered early on in the market. Uh, Dave, and, that, and that's why they continue to, um, you know, frame them and then they'll drift them out from time to time or they'll bring the opposition in uh, when the money starts, the weight of the money starts to, to unfold. But, you know, that, that has always been their way and um, I, I would be thinking that was a seriously overcautious, um, you know, situation there. But having said that, you know, how, how often have Ireland won on uh, beating New Zealand in New Zealand? Um, and, and, you know, who's to say they're going to buck the trend there? Uh, they'll, they'll be willing. Uh, they'll be able. Um, but uh, then again, uh, I think this uh, All Black... I, I, I rate the All Black side to play very well against Ireland. I think they're going to be classic test matches. I, I, I don't think that we're going to get beaten up to the extent that everyone says, but I, to the same degree, I don't think we're going to get the dominance that we would be expecting against Ireland sides of the past. This, this Ireland side just doesn't like that. Dave, thanks very much uh, for your call this morning. Um, Joey, which way should we head, north or south this time round? We'll go north to uh, Auckland where Zaid is on the line. G'day, Zaid. Uh, condolences, mate. It must have been a pretty tough Sunday for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I want to get onto this cricket. So we've named these teams for Scotland, London and Netherlands, but they should be all training runs, shouldn't they, Smitty? Like... They're all, they're all not, I don't want to be mean to any of them, but they're all rubbish. They're not crickety nations, are they? None of them are. No, Zay, they're all beatable. I mean, if we lose to those yeah. particular guys, um, if we any of those, those particular those, squads, yeah, if we lose you're to right. Those, there's something wrong with New Zealand cricket. You can't lose to Scotland or Ireland. And I saw the English, I know it's the English, but they put, what was it, 496 on the Netherlands in a one-dayer? Yes, I saw that. I saw, um, you know, um, they're, they're a very good side, England. They're a great white, white ball side, actually. They're starting to be a good test side, aren't they, as well? But uh, they, uh, they are a top white ball side, and uh, Joss Butler in particular is uh, in the form of his life. And you had Johnny Bairstow back in there. Owen Morgan gets some form. Uh, you know, Stokes gets into the mix for T20 if he wants to be bothered with that. Uh, they're going to be a hell of a force. I mean, the, the T20 World Cup coming up uh, in Australia is going to be an absolute rip-snorter. We're going to have to be at the very top of our game. And, of course, those two sides we named this morning will go uh, quite a long way to uh, looking at some of our development players around the group, those guys that are make up the numbers. And uh, to talk about that, after 11 o'clock, uh, we hope to have uh, Gavin Larson, who is the New Zealand Cricket Selection Manager, on those two squads, and perhaps his reflection too on uh, what we need to do a little bit better at Headingley come the third Test match against England this weekend. Uh, thanks very much for your calls uh, so far this morning. Uh, Zaid in particular, 
Uh, I know it's been tough for you, mate. I know how deep you are into the blues. And it was very, very clever of you to change very quickly to the cricket season all of a sudden. It's 9.46 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. Bit of a quiet, miserable sort of uh, Tuesday. Not really too much to talk about uh, in terms of uh, racing today as such. But uh, Louis Herman, what joins us? And I was, I was just looking at uh, James McDonald's performance uh, at Royal Ascot last week and uh, just the way that his ratio is pretty good. Three out of ten. There's a lot of guys front up there and don't ride one ever, like, for instance. Uh, but uh, just establishing the fact that he is one of the premier riders in the world once more, J-Mac, but it led, it led me to, Louis, talk about, uh, think about jockey ranks back here in New Zealand and the, the mm. more overseas names that you get in the jockey ranks over here. If you look at the results uh, up and down the country, uh, the overseas riders who have come here to try and uh, make a go of it or whatever, um, concerns me a wee bit because it, it tends to suggest we're either losing our best ones overseas or we're just not producing them at a great rate. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, it's totally fair. They tell me it's the shortest day of the year, by the way, Smithy, which can only mean we're on the downhill to cricket season. Um, that's good. Mm. But, yeah, especially in winter, I think the, the holes in the jockeys' ranks are always... I feel like we always have this conversation right now on today because winter, the riders that struggle to lose weight and the senior jockeys maybe stay in Australia after the Brizzy Carnival, they have a bit of a holiday, they refreshen up. You know, it's a real tough gig being a jockey. Nobody pretends mm. like it's not a tough gig. The money's good if you're good at it and if you're willing to work, but you've got to keep your weight down. You're up freezing cold mornings. Think about how cold it was in Auckland. I, I hate to think how cold it was in Cambridge or Matamata or, gee, down there at Rickenham Park this morning at 4 a.m. when they're riding track work, and it's in the dark. It's dangerous. And I just think that the job is less attractive at this time of year but that's not really our problem. We're punters and we're racing fans. The industry itself needs to do a better job, and I think the governance team are well aware of the pathways from being an asp- to being an aspirational jockey to, or to from being an aspirational jockey or maybe a smaller kid at school or whatever and introducing mm. yourself or being introduced to a racing industry in a safe environment where you can go on and make good money. Obviously, there's a, there's a disconnect, and... I don't know if it comes down to a racing industry reputation, if it comes down to a lack of mentors. There are good people like Noel Harris, David Walsh, mm. doing a lot of that mentorship. We spoke to Lee Thinnis about it. He just flat out said he's scared. Well, I don't know if he said that, actually. I don't want to misquote him. He said he – I think he, he pretty much agreed and said that, yeah, it is It is um, quite unsafe as a senior jockey going out there at the moment because a lot of these apprentices, they might not necessarily be taught to ride the right way or they don't necessarily know what they're doing. He made the point that he felt safer riding in Australia um, because, yeah, they just know what they're doing more. So there you go, Smithy. <laughs> It is 9.59 here on SENZ and just uh, time for a quick multi before we get through the 10 o'clock news. Today we're going uh, ice hockey. Uh, so the Colorado Avalanche to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, that is uh, $1.87. Toronto Blue Jays to beat the White Sox in Major League Baseball at $1.73. And in tennis, Cameron Norrie. Cameron Norrie to beat Nakashima. That's at Eastbourne as they build up for Wimbledon. Another grass uh, Court uh, championship there, $1.63. So that'll multi up at $5.27. Colorado, Toronto, Cameron Norrie, $5.27 tonight. So um, hopefully after 10 o'clock news, we shall be uh, going inside uh, the Kiwi Ferns camp to find out about their preparations for their big match this weekend against Tonga as well. 10.03 here on SENZ as we uh, look to uh, get uh, throughout the morning. We're going to be uh, talking to... 
Uh, someone within the Kiwi Ferns camp in the next uh, 15 minutes, hopefully they're just getting back from uh, a previous engagement and getting set up. So um, we could uh, read a couple of texts out as well. And uh, I want to have a chat to uh, my good friend Aroha because we haven't talked Formula One for uh, a little while. In fact, uh, Aroha's sitting there right here and now. And uh, how's it shaping up, uh, Aroha? Because uh, we've had another Grand Prix over the weekend. So what stage of the season that we are, are we at and where are we looking points table-wise? I'm so confused this season. I feel like the whole beginning of the season has been like an experiment. They've given these new cars and new rules and new regulations, and and it's such a moving beast. I don't know if you can see my smile, Smithy. I know no one else can, but I hope mm. you can hear it. It's about this big because Lewis Hamilton managed <laughs> to get on the podium at the weekend, and if you've been following Formula One just this season, if you're new to it, um, you'll probably think that Lewis Hamilton is stink because he hasn't done very well at all because the car's not fast. But he's a seven-time world champion, probably should have been eight-time world champion. So the things that have been the hang-ups, Smithy, this season, um, a term called porpoising. If you listen to some of the F1 commentators, they call it porpoising. Um, it's basically mm. what's caused by the aerodynamics of having a car being suctioned to the ground, getting close to the ground, the suction being dropped off, and they basically bounce around. Daniel Ricciardo described it as being a basketball, when a basketball player dribbles the ball close to the ground, but they do that for 70 laps at high speed. Mm. Um, so there have been back injuries and people trying not to complain. Because, you know, tough sports people don't like to complain, except maybe about referee decisions. Then they'll complain. <laughs> um, but they don't complain about personal um, discomfort. They're all quite tough. It's part of the game, isn't it? But there have been some complaints around their health and back pain and um, and then other F1 drivers saying, oh, they're just all moaning, they're too soft. So F1 this year has been really interesting. The rules that they ma they made all these rules so that they changed the regulations. They delayed the regulation changes by a year because of COVID. But the regulations were changed so that it wouldn't just be Mercedes and Red Bull uh, four minutes ahead of the pack every race, and it was starting to get boring. Uh, and then, of course, at the weekend, we had uh, Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes still at the front of the pack ahead of everybody else. So it's the, the very front has changed from Red Bull and Mercedes to Red Bull and Ferrari with a little bit of Mercedes in the mix now that they're getting their car right. And the mid-pack is just one big mishmash of engine failures and and wet tracks and a lot of fun to watch. Disappointing if you're a McLaren fan. I don't think it's really going their way at the moment. No, it appears to uh, be a best-placed uh, driver on the standings is Norris with uh, 50 points. So Verstappen 175, Perez 129, the Mexican, and then he goes to uh, the early front-runner in Charles Leclerc. Yeah, and it's um, been so strange uh, on 126. because... You look at, you know, they had engine failures at the beginning of the season, Red Bull, and it was complete reverse. I think there's been a point swing in the championship of 70 from from Ferrari through to Red Bull. It's just been so strange, and it's come down to, for those two teams, engine reliability issues. They had two DNFs, um, not in the weekend just gone, uh, but in the weekend previous, so points changing so quickly because of reliability issues. And then the middle of the pack, 
you see drivers like Haas doing really well in qualification and you really want them to do really well and then they'll have reliability issues and get dropped out. Lando had reliability issues in, in qualifying or free practice, I can't remember which. So it's been interesting, but still, same sort of story. You know, it's Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes still still out the front. I think it's remarkable that Mercedes has managed to be third in the championship when sometimes in free practice they're coming in, in at about 12th, 14th. Have you been watching it, Smithy? Have you had your little Lewis Hamilton yeah, hat? Uh, well, I, I was going to ask you about Lewis Hamilton, and yes, I have been watching it because I, I'm starting to, to look at him now. He's had, coming up to 300 times he's been going around you know, in Formula One racing. He's uh, still just 37 years of age. But you're beginning to see uh, from signs from this side of the world that there are perhaps the odd issue, um, you know, he uh, maybe uh, the mental side of it. I just wonder about the lifespan for uh, Lewis Hamilton because you simply cannot make a mistake in a car at those speeds out of her. And I'm just wondering whether there are other things being factored into, um, you know, the life of Lewis Hamilton as well as the racing uh, driving life of Lewis Hamilton to make it to the point where, you know, here's a guy with seven championships, clearly wants to get the eighth one. He's not going to get it in this car at this speed at the moment. Where, where do you think his future is? How long can we look at Sir Lewis Hamilton being uh, on the grid? I would hate to put words into Sir Lewis's mouth because anyone who does that, just out of spite sometimes, I think he disagrees with them. But I think he will tell you he'll do it as long as he dang well wants to. And would we be having those conversations about whether he still has longevity? if last year didn't happen, if the final 40 seconds of the last race of the season had not happened and not played out the way they were, if he'd won his eighth championship last year, we'd probably all be saying, the guy's unstoppable, He's there's, and he doesn't have fatigue, he won't stop. He says in his interviews that he's more motivated now than he's ever been. So if that's anything to go by, I think, and I think that's true of any sports person when they feel under pressure and they feel like they're being kicked in the guts, they probably that that zest and that need to rise up is greater. But you know, how old is Fernando Alonso? And he qualified second. I do think that there is a time when you can bow out gracefully. I, the only person I saw bow out gracefully was Nico Rosberg. You know, he took one world championship and then just kind of, it's like he did a hit and run, gets one and then just gets up so that he could never lose it. Is he, do you have a favourite team, Smithy? Do you have not, a bunch of teams? Not really. I, I guess if I, I look back over a time, and I, you know, I, I can, uh, as we've talked about before, I go way back to uh, the time where I actually saw Bruce McLaren drive, Chris Amon drive. Um, so, you know, I've always had a, a bit of a soft spot for McLaren, McLaren because, of course, it's, it's strong Same. New Zealand connections there. So I, I guess if I was looking back in time there, but it is, it's quite frustrating not having um, a competitive mm. uh, vehicle in, in terms of those respects. I'm just looking at the schedule that's, that's coming up uh, for these guys shortly. Um, so, you go to Silverstone uh, in two the, weeks. The, yeah, uh, and then you've got Austria. And then you go to France. So, I mean, it just continues to evolve, uh, evolve and, and that is a very busy month. Um, July is a very busy month. And I, I, there's still so much to go. You, you kind of don't think that uh, Verstappen's got it sewn up as yet. But, no. Um, We're not even the way halfway it's trended, through. No, I know. It's, the way it's trended, though, you, you tend to suggest um, maybe uh, because, uh, you know, they're still tinkering. That's the thing. They tinker all the time to try and find split seconds. 
uh, whether they're able to tinker to the extent that whether Verstappen is under pressure or whether this is a, almost a done deal now, the way he's, it's trended recently. I think one of the things that all of the teams have said is if you can finish, you're making, you've got to get, you just got to, you've got to be able to finish before you can get any points whatsoever. So DNFs are um, must not for all of the teams. And when you've got a, if it's perplexing for people as to why there are so many engine failures or, or hiccups on the cars, you know these these things haven't been tried out. They're not allowed to mm-hmm. set up some track in the middle of nowhere and drive them around for two thousand hours to try and figure out what what's good and what's not. They they are limited in what they're allowed to run. So all of the failures happen on track, and it makes it exciting for us, especially when it rains. Unless you're a McLaren yep, fan, it does. Unless you're a McLaren fan. Uh, Aroa, thank you very much for your update there. I love chatting F1 to you, of course. So, uh, And thank you very much for coming to the rescue to a certain extent as well. That was great. Uh, but the, the good news is we're going to head now across to the, the Kiwi Ferns camp where we're, uh, we're going to catch up uh, with uh, the captain, in fact. Uh, how lucky are we in uh, Crystal Roto, who has been named as uh, captain for this uh, one-off clash this weekend uh, against the Tongan woman. Uh, can uh, say very good morning to you, Crystal. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. How excited uh, are you girls? This is look, you're looking like a crowd of 18 to 20,000 here uh, at some stage uh, throughout this, this wonderful weekend of rugby league. Uh, how, how, how are the girls getting excited about this? Yeah, the girls are really excited. We're just currently doing some media and photos at the moment, but the vibe in camp is um, everyone's very excited and um, ready to rip in on Saturday. How well do you know each other? Did you, you know, have, have you have you met most of the, the the ladies as they've come together? Yeah, a few of us already knew each other. A few of us have um, played together in the Kiwi Ferns previously, and a few of us have played against each other at NRLW, but. Um, yeah, majority of us know each other. There's a few new faces, which um, is even more exciting, getting to new uh, new teammates. So, yeah, I think um, everyone's just excited to sort of bond over the next week um, before we play on Saturday. How much do you know about uh, the Tongan team? How much homework have, have you been able to do on them? Um, I I actually don't know too much about the Tongan team, which I, I, I prefer. <laughs> I like not knowing who the opposition is. Um, but um, we haven't done any preview um, just yet on the opposition. But I'm sure later on in the camp, um, once everything's more official, we'll probably do a little bit more study around the, uh, who everyone is, where their position is, and um, sort of where we plan to attack um, against them. Is culture quite a big of a part of the group as you, as you come together? We, we see that within uh, the Kiwis from time to time, New Zealand Maori sides, of course. Is, is the culture thing a, an easy thing for you to establish? Yeah, culture's massive. Culture's probably, you know, at the forefront of um, any campaign, uh, especially in the Kiwi Friends campaign. Culture is very, very important. Um, it's something that, you know, we work on and, it's something that's established, you know, from the previous players from the past and something that we sort of continue on. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a massive deal um, having a good culture amongst the Kiwi Ferns team. The, the other thing, uh, Crystal, of course, is when you come together and you, and you look to play in this team environment, combinations is a, is a big issue, the, you know, the ab- ability to get your combinations right. How much time will you be able to have putting those together? Yeah, obviously combinations on the field and getting plays and organisation on the park is going to be very important. And 
um, it's obviously tough when you only have a week um, to do that. So, you know, we have to capitalise on the time that we have here in camp and we'll make a start on that this afternoon in our first training and just trying to get that team cohesion and um, combos going today. Massive uh, occasion this. Do, do the girls realise just how big it is, yeah, particularly with the fact that I think it's been at least two years since the squad's actually got together? Yes, you're right. It's been two years. 2020 was the last time that um, we had a test match against Samoa. So, you know, up against um, another Pacific nation, which is very exciting. But the fact that, you know, there hasn't been an event for two years makes it more significant. So, um, yeah, all the girls are excited to get out there and represent our country on Saturday. The team's been picked uh, from uh, the, the few matches that uh, the selectors, I guess, have been able to see this year, which included, of course, the, the Sky Sport Women's Ch uh, Premiership this year. Been, been impressed with the football that's been played in that at that level? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, having the Sky Sport um, Premiership, um, you know, screened on TV was a great opportunity for exposure for some of the girls that have made the squad. And, you know, hopefully that continues on to get, um, you know, that coverage um, for our girls in New Zealand. Obviously, Australia um, get a lot of coverage, so... Um, and the girls playing NRLW also. So um, having that opportunity through Sky Sports to get that um, you know, exposure for those girls has been massive. And um, I think it's deserving too. There's been girls you know, that are sort of flying under the radar but just don't get seen or get the opportunity. So that's exciting times to have those kinds of things. And you know, just it's good for the Kiwi fans to be able to bring those girls into the camp that could have you know, not been seen if that wasn't there. Mm. The NRL, uh, NRLW expanding to 10 teams, uh, the possibility of that coming up, that's got to be a great opportunity for a pathway for uh, our young players. Yeah, it's definitely a great pathway. Um, you know, ho hopefully that, um, you know, the, I think the tough thing is, is that uh, at the moment there's no team from New Zealand, you know, meaning um, that girls that would uh, aspire to play in that competition would have to relocate to Australia, which always isn't an easy move. Um, so, you know, hopefully maybe not this season coming now, but, you know, in the future, maybe the Warriors can put in a team just so that we can have, you know, that team from New Zealand that can um, be based here in New Zealand and, um, you know, be playing in that competition. So I hope to see that in the future. We hear uh, a lot, Crystal, about uh, the, the strength and the growing numbers of uh, women's rugby in this country. What, what do you know about the, uh, the, the numbers and the youth and the development of the rugby league side of things for, for women? Um, I know it's definitely growing. Um, you know, we've now got, you know, young um, young club sides, which is definitely um, growing a growing area. So, you know, we're having um, young girls teams uh, from young ages through to teenage ages before they play open women's. And, you know, that wasn't something of the past. There was, some, you know, somewhat a step from the girls that would play with the boys up to a certain age where they were, weren't allowed to play and then they would have to jump straight into open women. So it's good that we've got that pathways and that consistency through age groups. And also we have, you know, new competitions coming through for, um, you know, provincial, provincial sides for our, um, our younger ladies, which is awesome as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a growing space that's growing really quickly and um, it's going to be exciting to see where it heads to in the future. What are you expecting from the Tongan women this Saturday? Um, I'll be expecting them to have a very, very strong board pack, um, you know, and obviously there's been a lot of um, the side that have been selected from the NRLW, so there's been some skillful players and some quick backs I'm expecting as well. So um, it's going to be a very exciting um, game on Saturday.
Look forward to it. I really do. I think it's a great uh, occasion for rugby league because we've been starved of it here on New Zealand soil. So uh, wish you all the best, uh, Crystal, with uh, what's coming up in terms of your preparation, particularly that first hit out this afternoon. Let you get back to your, your other media duties. But it's been great catching up with you. All the very best. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, uh, Crystal Rotu there, who is uh, the captain of the Kiwi Ferns as they look to take on Tonga as part of a classic double header this weekend at Mount Smart Stadium. It is 10.20 here on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It is 10.25. Excited to have the panel consisting of Lavina Good this morning along with Hamish Bidwell. Uh, Lavina Good, a massive weekend of uh, rugby league coming up this weekend internationally, I'm pleased to say, and here in New Zealand. So much to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's a great opportunity. It's so good that the Kiwis, both the um, Kiwi Ferns along with the Kiwis men's team get an opportunity to showcase their talent. It's perfect around this state of origin uh, period for for the Kiwi players that aren't able to don a state of origin jersey. And it's really exciting, not just for New Zealand rugby league fans, but also for Tongan rugby league fans. So Tonga will come charging out with Jason Samalalo and Adams for Newell Blake, and then this Kiwi side that has decided to name Jesse Bromwich as their captain, one of the most, well, in fact, he is the most experienced player in this international lineup for the Kiwis, will lead the way. Uh, it won't be an easy match for the Kiwis at all, but I'll tell you what, those uh, South Auckland rugby league fans, both from Tonga and Aotearoa, are certainly up for a treat both in the men's and women's games. Yeah, hell of a night, a day and night out, I reckon. Um, it would be an amazing thing, Hamish Bidwood, to be at. You've been some some great events, but, you know, just the rarity of actually having a, a Kiwis rugby league side and a Kiwis Ferns rugby league side actually on our soil again. It's it's almost like a one-off or first-off. Yeah, my disappointment is, if I have one, is that um, it's coinciding with State of Origin, so we're losing guys like Daniel Tupou and Sika Talakai to New South Wales, who uh, would have been in the Tonga team, and that's that's really disappointing. I I go on about this a bit, but the the, the emergence of Tonga as a rugby league superpower is the best thing that's happened to that sport, and it's been absurd to think that they haven't the governing bodies haven't looked to capitalise on that. That we've been so um, wrapped up in club football and, and Origin football that we sort of overlook Test football, which I think got such a shot in the arm by Tonga at the World Cup, and then the next year beating England or well, Great Britain as they were at the time and and Australia, like we need that, and I'd like to see the best, strongest possible Tonga team playing the Kiwis. Um, it's a shame that that won't be the case. Still be a great occasion. I'll definitely be watching. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see it sort of stand alone without state of origin interfering. So Hamish, are you looking for Kiwi dominance here because of that? Uh, I'm hoping for Tonga to win. I, I won't. I won't muck around, beat around the bush on that. I, I think they're amazing, and I hope that they win. Um, I, I just, I, more broadly, I have, I think I mentioned this to you before, I have hopes that people who have eligibility in rugby for Pakistan more in Tonga, and rather than the All Blacks, and actually have in our own backyard meaningful test rugby um, against our nearest neighbours, and, and, and actually appeal to our communities who want to come out and watch this stuff, and I hope on that basis that Tonga win here because I think it adds to the excitement. If the Kiwis win and they win comfortably, then it's sort of people will shrug their shoulders and move on. But if Tonga win, people will stand up and take notice and they'll want to see them again and that's what we really need. 
Lavina, the other thing, uh, I guess it's uh, good news for the Warriors. It takes the heat off the Warriors for uh, a week or so anyway before they do come home themselves. Uh, another average performance at the weekend, but quite expected that Penrith, Penrith would dominate them. Yeah, I was I was exceptionally disappointed with the Warriors' performance at, at the weekend. I know the, the Panthers are leading the table four points clear of the Melbourne Storm. But the defensive effort and the defensive structure from the Warriors wasn't even up to school, school, boy or girl, rugby league level. Um, there was no... And you know what, Smitty? I watched that game and it's been a long time, a very long time in my life because I'm a leaguey from, from being very young. It's been a long time I've turned since I've turned off a rugby league game to check out the rugby. And that's what the Warriors did to me. They created a first in the life of Lavina Good. And I had to turn the rugby league off for a while because the defensive performance was so poor. And straight after that game with the Warriors, I managed to watch the Yields and uh, the Roosters play. And the defensive efforts from both sides was incredible. Three players in each tackle, pushing players behind, dominant through an attacking defensive structure. And the Warriors just don't have it. So... I think they've got all the excuses in the world have been away since 2019 and their coach didn't want to come to New Zealand, blah, blah, righty, rah. But in the game of rugby league, you have to tackle and the Warriors weren't tackling. So another under-par performance from the Warriors. I'm glad they're coming home. It'll be interesting to see what they can do at Mount Smart Stadium when they take on the Tigers um, after the State of Origin stretch. And I'm hoping that they play for each other and and not even for the fans. I, I said to you a few weeks ago, hey, it'd be great to see the Warriors play for the fans and, you know, uh, display some mighty fine rugby league. They don't even need to worry about that now. They should just be playing for each other. So they've got to make the tackles. They've got to stop dropping the ball and they're in with a chance to score points and they're not doing that at the moment. So at the moment, they're looking at sitting one off from the bottom of the table. The Warriors have never been in that wooden spoon category where we think they're going to come at the bottom of the table. But the way that the Tigers and the Doggies are playing at the moment and the Titans even put in a pretty decent performance at the weekend as well, although not with a victory against the Sharkies. What what the Warriors need to do is get the fundaments of rugby league happening and get back to playing for each other and, and please try and make those tackles. It's so important. Well, okay then. Um, you, you brought me on. So I've just sort of thought of something, actually, Lavina, and I'll get Hamish to, to uh, perhaps uh, talk about it himself, actually, because uh, right here and now, uh, the Crusaders' defensive coaches um, are having some time off. Now, if I'm Cameron George, I think, now there is the best defensive outfit on both codes that I've seen for quite some time, particularly in the last two to three weeks. So uh, can I get them in for a week? When they get home, the the, uh, the Warriors get home, can I get one or two of these guys in alongside them to talk about tackling technique, to talk about the preventing offloads, etc.? cetera? Uh, Hamish, is, is, I mean, if I, I'm clutching at straws here, but I'm pretty desperate if I'm uh, Cameron George and co. Is it even worth the thought? I'll, I'll quote the great Gordon Tallis, who always says defence is an attitude, and I just don't. I think the Warriors are a defeated and broken team. I hope that being in New Zealand will help rejuvenate them, assuming all the Australians still in the squad actually want to come. Um, and that that will galvanise them and give them some hunger and some desire to actually put their bodies in front and, 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 and make some tackles. I, I, I don't think it's structural. I think it's purely mental and, and, and emotional. And I think that the attitude of that club is a defeated one. And I just think they've had enough. And it doesn't matter who you bring in, I don't think it'll make a, a huge amount of difference to the actual uh, end result. Okay, we'll take a a short break here for some news from Araha, and when we come back, uh, more from Lavina Good and Hamish Bidwell. 
Lavina Good with us this morning, as is uh, Hamish Bidwell, and uh, I guess we can uh, look at uh, some of the statements coming out of Australian rugby as well. Uh, Lavina, they uh, are looking like bailing out on Super Rugby uh, at the end of the 2023 or 24 competition. Anyway, getting out. Uh, Dave Rennie says, uh, don't be stupid. A number of our former All Blacks saying they're uh, ungrateful and disrespectful, etc. What are your views on it? Money, money, money. That's what it's about. That's what it's always about when it comes to uh, just about any sport at, at any level. I think they're trying to play the money game. They're a little bit peeved that um, when it comes to the broadcast deal, New Zealand earns 90 or around about 90 million bucks from it, and Australia don't come anywhere near that. I think, you know, they don't even make a third of that. So they're, they're talking the talk at the moment, threatening to pull out of the competition. I personally... <laughs> agree 100% with Dave Rennie, that will be to the detriment of Australian rugby. I mean, what they want is to play against the best players in the world and the best teams in the world, and they are right here in New Zealand at the moment. So what they're desperate for is some more uh, coin from that broadcast deal. But if their decision is to pull out of the competition in 2024 and just run their own competition or threaten someone to try and pay them more money, it will be to the detriment of the Australian rugby players. They need to play against New Zealand to be a better country and better players, and if they don't, I think it will take its toll in about a decade's time where they won't come anywhere near the performance of the All Blacks. Well, some people were saying uh, they've had enough of the Bledisloe Cup. If all of a sudden we don't have that, and then we don't have the Trans-Tasman and we don't have the Super Rugby. Hamish, uh, we might as well cut the, the cord altogether. W- what are your feelings on it? Oh, the Bledisloe sacrosanct never goes out the window. But I, I think Super Rugby is a tired model. I've always said, going back to when COVID burst, that we should have tried to go a domestic route. Um, I don't really get the, the sense of these multinational competitions that much. Um, New Zealand rugby sort of have a handout culture. You know, they have a handout from Silver Lake and they need a handout from broadcasters overseas and they need other markets to, to, to pay them money to, to bankroll their wages and stuff like that. And I just think, get a better model. You know, Super Rugby on Saturday night was an amazing product. Like, it was test match quality rugby. It was two New Zealand teams going hard at it. I was thrilling. And I, I just don't know, other than broadcast money, why we waste our time with other people. I think we need to look at different models because the one that we have doesn't really serve anyone's best interests. When you look at that performance, the Crusaders' performance against the Chiefs, Hamish, and then you look at it against the Blues, I, I can't remember, I'm sure there would have been, but I can't remember two more dominating Saturdays um, with Crusaders rugby in terms of just putting a game plan together and executing it perfectly. Uh, to be, to be honest, it was it was quite revealing. Well, hellishly revealing in terms of when the All Blacks were picked. I think if they were named this Monday rather than last, we might have had a slightly different uh, look about the squad. You know, like we have sort of people we deem as unfashionable, like Tom Christie and, and Cullen Grace. But to me, they play the type of rugby that wins test matches, tight test matches. We have a lot of athletes in the All Blacks, a lot of potentially explosive players, guys who on their best day against weak opposition can run rings around them. But, I mean, fair income. Roger Tui Vastashek against David Havili, that was the greatest one-horse race of all time, wasn't it? I mean, I think we overvalue the athletes that we have and we shy away from rugby players and guys who can actually commit to a game plan, can actually execute it, guys who are accurate, guys who have the attitude to win. Um, I thought that was hellishly revealing last week. Uh, Lavina, if I can just go to the, the Black Ferns um, and uh, the progress they may or may not have made under Wayne Smith, is it possible for you to say that um, he's uh, had an immediate impact uh, on 
uh, the Black Ferns compared to where they were and uh, where they are now, or, or would you prefer to reserve judgment till they come up against England or France? Yeah, no, I would like to make a comment on that. I critiqued the decision uh, by New Zealand Rugby to pick Wayne Smith as the coach of the Black Ferns initially a few months ago. I didn't think he was the right man for the job. I thought he'd hung up his boots literally and decided to re- retire at Waihi Beach and, and move on his merry way in life. But I had an opportunity to interview him before this game in Tauranga when they were playing against Australia. And he has earned so much respect from the Black Ferns, who had such a tumultuous start to the year on the back of their a disastrous performance throughout Europe and also, you know, with a new coach and, and new players and debutants. But they've earned the, he's earned the respect of those players. Their performance against Australia was pretty good. Their uh, performance on the pitch against Canada was a lot better, but they saved their best till last to annihilate uh, the United States. So this Canadian side that they beat in the second game, Smitty and Hamish, they were the second best uh, women's rugby team in the world. So they had to put something out there that would show us as rugby fans that they've got what it takes as they creep towards the the World Cup, which is just around the corner. I think he is the right man for the job, and I think they're ticking all the boxes at this stage. Plenty more work to be done. Uh, Ruahe, the captain, spoke to me and said there's still plenty for the girls to work on when it comes to their performance on the pitch. But yeah, each game they seem to... They've developed a culture where they want to play rugby for each other and everyone else, and it's working out really well for them. So hopefully injury-free uh, from their three performances, especially that last one in Whangarei. It was absolutely outstanding. It gives rugby fans in this country confidence with the World Cup just around the corner. Hey, Michelle, where are you sitting with uh, our team for the third test against Headingley? I'd love your opinion on on what you do. They've flown in Tickner, they've flown in Cleaver. Cleaver probably not in the mix. I would imagine Tickner might be in the mix. Uh, what, what would you like to see them do uh, with this dead rubber as such? Well, I'll go back to a comment I heard Ross Taylor make to you a couple of weeks ago about um, the batting order. I'd like to see Conway if COVID-free open. Um, I don't understand this preoccupation we have with you can't have two left-handers. I'd work the right for Strauss and Cook and Hayden and Langer. Um, so I'd like to bat him there. I think Will Young is, is a middle-order player. I think he likes too much bat on ball. I think he's going to nibble at things and nick them um, at the top of the order. So I'd bat him sort of four. Um, in terms of the bowling balance, I think you've got to give Wagner a game. I think you've got to give Patel a game. I just I heard Mike Hesson say the other day that Headingley does take spin or it can be advantageous there and that Williamson himself was integral in them winning the Test match here the last time New Zealand were, were in town. So, yeah, I... I'd like to see those changes happen. I, overall, I'd just like to see some bit more sort of... I feel what we've been showing up. I, I don't know, you're probably closer to it than me, but I don't, I'm not inspired by Tom Latham. I don't regard him as a great tactician, um, a, a motivator of players. And I see that the way the England camp are responding to McCullum and Stokes, and I feel we're a bit behind the eight ball there. Uh, or, you know, there's some vigour about their team and enthusiasm that we don't have, some ideas, um, some positivity... I think that's a big issue. I, I think there must be better leaders in New Zealand cricket than Tom Latham. Hopefully, Williamson's fit and Williamson can play, but he seems a reluctant player at times. I, I wonder how much test cricket we're going to get out of him. We look at the squads that New Zealand have picked for white ball. Some of our best players mm. don't seem to want to be involved. Um, yeah, I think these are interesting times for New Zealand cricket. Yeah, I, I, I actually you know, concur with you quite, uh, quite strongly there on uh, Latham as well, and you know, I, need, I know he's got a great record, but people are now starting to say against who, 
Um, you know, and and I think uh, Lavina too. We we might be seeing a new model in Test cricket in particular. With uh, it's only early days. Let's be fair, McCullum Stokes. They'll have some bad days, uh, but it's going pretty much forward for them at the moment. But this outwardly positive attitude to Test cricket that people, even spectators, want to feed off, uh, might become the thing, Lavina. Yeah, I loved what Hamish said about reluctance. That's the way the Black Caps have been playing against England at the moment, is that that hesitancy, which comes from a lack of confidence, I guess, which I guess you can kind of question from your, your coach or, or your captain. And that the whole McCullum-Stokes thing just comes with a, a whole lot of positivity for, for England cricket, and it's displayed there out on the pitch. I mean, Michael Riffin coming in, I think that's a great idea um, as they head toward the white ball, and, you know, he's got that left arm leg spinner so they're opting towards that obviously but I, I like batting wise you can't really question you know what's going on there but I think attacking bowling as well which comes from no form of intensity from them so yeah as you say McCullum and Stokes will have their bad days but at the moment they're riding that wave of success and in terms of this dead rubber maybe uh, the Black Caps can just go out there and get a bit spicy and uh, show a bit of confidence mm. in each other and put, put in there an effort, you know, so that we can appreciate the cricket some more, which, because I love his cricket. I, it's my favourite form of cricket without a doubt. I used to remember back in the day, they used to have a day off on a Wednesday in between cricket. I was like, why would you have a day off? Just go five days straight. You know, it'd be nice to get that ascendancy when it comes to the white ball, and hopefully the Black Caps can do that. Look forward to it. I uh, look forward to that. In fact, I look forward to this whole weekend of sport. It should be. Quite riveting, and that's without Super Rugby as well. So look forward to thank and thank you very much, uh, Lavina Good, to Hamish Bidwell as well, who have been our panelists this morning. We shall have another one tomorrow morning here on SENZ. Okay, it's uh, ten forty nine. Opportunity now to read out to some of the many texts that have come in this morning on our text line double eight double three, and we welcome them at any stage. Jim from Tamuka has come in and said, "Morning, Smithy. G'day, Jim." Great to hear uh, you back. Uh, Ripping the spinner. Um, did I hear it right, or am I going old or mad? He's going to be a black cap. I'm with Zade. I, I moved on from the 13th title rugby game. Uh, good on you, Jim. Yeah, it was pretty conclusive, though, wasn't it? Um, uh, interesting, that uh, Crusaders outfit. And I think the biggest, uh, well, I've got surgery, haven't they, for Blackadder. Um, of course, Ethan Blackadder on, on the shoulder and getting him right for next season. The only, only other one I hear about is Razor. I think he's having a knee reconstruction, so... Um, that's the only other problem I've got. And um, my understanding also is he's already thinking about themes for next year. Uh, looking at, I've got to replace uh, Andrew Goodman, who's off, of course, the coach Leinster. So uh, there's a number of things on their plate, but they're not desperate things, aren't they? And I just wonder how many how many rugby players in New Zealand, in all honesty, if you if you got them behind closed doors and said, just give me a close answer, no one else will ever find out about it. How many would say, God, I wish I was playing for the Crusaders? Because that is a pathway to the All Blacks. The way they play, it's an absolute pathway to the All Blacks. Is there one player that they used uh, at the weekend that you wouldn't consider to be uh, worthy of being an All Black, if not now, at some stage in the very near future? Don't think so, really. You know, if their weakest link was, say, uh, the reserve front row, wrong, came on and dominated two All Blacks. Um, Would you be thinking about uh, Tom Christie? Wrong. Busiest uh, and most tackles in Super Rugby this year, Tom Christie. Most effective tackler, Tom Christie. Unbelievable. So, you know, th- those kind of things. And, and then, of course, you've got Matera, who um, got a lifeline to play um, after he was, uh, I think, vindicated by judiciary. And he comes on and he, he simply is, uh, is outstanding. And his tactical kick at the end was something to watch, wasn't it? If you're a Crusaders fan... Uh, so, uh, getting back to your point, though, Jim, uh, rip on the spinner. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask Gavin Larson about that because uh, I absolutely have no idea about eligibility when it comes to players going one way and then going 
the other way back. So I'm not quite sure how it uh, works at international level in cricket. Gavin Larson will know all about that because he has the, the position of being able to access those particular players. John says, what is Foster, Plumtree and McLeod? Uh, one, as provincial coaches, nothing. Not confident about the All Blacks at the moment. Stephen says, Smithy the legend Wayne Barnes arrives on Saturday to do the first Maori game. And the All Blacks third test, am I taking him to Turks? No, not a chance, Stephen. Not on your nelly. You can take him to your local if you like. If Grace and Jacobson were good enough a couple of years ago, uh, now they're not good enough. Shouldn't they be developing them, not picking another new player? Peter Gus saw a cooler. Uh, he was went, went way off the boil during the competition towards the end of it. Maybe they picked uh, Peter Gasuakoula, says Rob, to stop him playing for Fiji in the future. Or, you know, or the Fijian Drua. Uh, interesting. Um, not sure whether that was behind their motivation there. But certainly, certainly if you look at um, the Grace, um, Grace is just, he's the standout for me. He is the unlucky one. Picked him a couple of years ago. Uh, he sort of hibernated a wee bit, had some injury issues. But he's so highly rated down there. Uh, he's such a go-to guy at such a tender young age. You have to think he's future material, if not current, for um, the, the All Blacks. I mean, um, you know, uh, Grace Grace off the back of the scrum. Grace is power and tackle. Grace at, uh, you know, contact time. Uh, backing up what Artie Sevier does in the eight jersey. Uh, Chris says, they don't all of a sudden become bad players or coaches after losing to a team that executed their game plan absolutely perfectly. Get where you're coming from, Chris. Get where you're coming from. It is uh, 10.53 here on SENZ. 10.58, joined by Brendan Popwell uh, as we look uh, towards Gavin Larson after the break. But BP, if you are framing in the position of framing a market for next year's Super Rugby competition, what would you have the Crusaders at? Oh, gee. Two, two forty, two fifty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're only losing. Um, they lose Matera and Bryn Hall. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. No, dominant eh? display. Dominant display again so, on the weekend, Smithy. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was, was very popular too. Very popular in the markets late in the piece, even though they were the outsiders uh, in that match, the Crusaders. Um, today, we're going to find a winner today, Smithy. Uh, baseball. Yep. I know you love your baseball. We've taken $1,000 on the Red Sox against Detroit head-to-head at $1.50. And in the White Sox-Blue Jays match, we've got 5000 on over nine runs at $1.85. So they are the big bets in the, in the Major League Baseball. And in the Stanley Cup Finals, we've taken $1,100 on total goals to be six and under at $1.77, Tampa Bay and Colorado. Very tight in the market there, Tampa Bay just favoured at $1.80, Colorado one ninety two. Yeah, Stanley Cup, uh, Game 3 um, on this afternoon. It's 2-0 to Colorado. Thanks to BP, um, and uh, we will look forward to uh, some input from the TAB before 11 o'clock tomorrow. It is 11 o'clock here, and we've got Ottawa with her latest instalment. It is 11.03, and we've had trouble getting hold of uh, our guests on time this morning, but I don't think we'll ever have a problem with this bloke because they called him uh, when he was playing the postman. Uh, that's because he always delivers and delivers on time. And that's uh, Gavin Larson we're talking about now. Uh, of course, uh, New Zealand cricket a manager uh, in terms of selection. He's been a busy boy this morning uh, talking to the media around the country about the two squads he has named for uh, Ireland, Scotland and Netherlands matches coming up uh, post this test match against England at uh, Headingley this weekend. Gav, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi, Smithy. Pleasure to be with you, mate. 
Uh, listen, uh, first of all, uh, I've had a number of texts that have come in and, um, under the, the Michael Rippon selection and said, how is he eligible? Can you explain that to us in terms of the international uh, cricket regulations for eligibility? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, look, very pleased to be in a position where we could select Michael for, as a starter. Um, he's had a, a really good three or four years with, with Otago and we've been following his pro- progress with yeah, very closely, and then he's performed very, very well. So he's, he's deserving of that spot. In terms of um, eligibility, uh, when he, so people will be aware that he's played for the Netherlands now for a oh, for a long time. I think he might have debuted back in 13, 14. So he's he's played uh, you know a lot of cricket for the Netherlands. Uh, they're an associate member, um, full members like New Zealand. If if we if Michael was on our radar, which he was, of course. If we wanted to select and select select him, there is no formal stand down period. Um, going the other way, if a full member player uh, had a desire to play for an associate, um, there's a three year stand down. So that's the that's the basic um, sort of criteria. Then the I guess the second part of it, Smithy, is you know what um, what has Michael had to work through here in New Zealand um, playing domestic cricket before he was deemed eligible by New Zealand Cricket and the ICC. So the, the simple criteria there is that players need to uh, reside in, in the country um, for a, mm. approximately 10 months a year for the preceding three years prior to, um, prior to selection and, and show as much proof as possible that they are 100% committed to that, to that country. Right, that's cleared that one up uh, very clear. Of course, we've had players uh, come this way, the likes of Neil Wagner and co, uh, Devin Conway, for instance, uh, who have had to sit out that uh, eligibility clause in terms of residence. So uh, I think that's uh, we've seen that, that side of it before. OK, uh, when we look at the side, sometimes we look at who, who, who was available and not available. And um, also a couple of texts have come in to say, why aren't our big boys available for these two particular series? Uh, I'm talking here about uh, Kane Williamson, Trent Brolt, Tim Southey, Devin Conway. Um, and the reason for that is um, they have uh, just got some player welfare time off. Is that correct? Yeah, in a nutshell, Smithy, that, that's exactly right. Look, mate, we've had a, a really intense period of cricket and we've got, a, we've got a massive sort of 12 to 18 months in front of us as well. And, and again, I guess it's stating the obvious with what we've been through with the pandemic over the last two years and living in bubbles, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's become more and more uh, important from our side to make sure that we are managing the players in an appropriate way um, and, and managing not just their workloads, but their sort of, the, you know, the mental side of the game. And we do firmly believe that, um, you know, giving them these, these, these breaks at appropriate times is 100% the right way to go. And that, and that extends through to the... To the coaching staff and the general management around the, the black caps as well, and I, I, I think it's a um, it's a very very good move. Um, we've got some good depth, Smithy, at the moment as well. So from a selection standpoint, it's giving us that opportunity to, you know, to have a have a closer look at some of the fringe players um, to to keep building that depth. And as you know, we've got a T20 World Cup that's not far away, October November over in Australia, and then a year um, um, further on, we're into an ODI World Cup in, in India. So, again, it's, it's all really good opportunities for us to, to test that depth. Right, let's uh, look at uh, some of the features of, uh, first of all, the squad for Ireland. Nice to see uh, Michael Bracewell continue his development uh, in his all-round capacity. 
Lockie Ferguson back into the fray. You've got the experience, of course, of uh, of uh, the likes of Martin Guptill and the, the developing experience, I guess you've got to say, of a player like a, a Glenn Phillips. These games, um, I would imagine you would expect to play well and you should, should, we should be expecting you to win them. I'm not saying there might not be a hiccup, but Gav, uh, the, the guts of this is forming that squad for uh, Australia, isn't it? And here's a chance for players uh, with opportunities running out. Yeah, you're right, Smithy. There's, you know, time time is becoming short, and um, you know we have, um, you know, a pretty good feel for how we want to shape that T20 World Cup squad of 15 from a balanced point of view. Uh, and there are, you know, there are probably two or three, maybe four spots that we feel we still want to have a, you know, a closer look at. And these are these are going to be the final opportunities. These T20s against against Ireland, uh, Scotland, and the Netherlands. Um, in, in terms of the T20 game. And again, just starting sort of more bigger picture, having a look at the ODIs and emerging players. And, you know, it's guys like the Finn Allens and the, the Michael, uh, the Ben Sears and the Rippons that we've talked about and watching, you, you alluded to Michael Bracewell, watching his progress and just to see if they can put up those performances that sort of, I guess, end up forcing our hand as selectors. Tell us a wee bit about uh, Dane Cleaver. He's uh, been a fairly good servant for a long period of time now for the Stags. He's had a couple of really cool seasons, which enable his name to go uh, a little bit higher up the list. And uh, he's been in a sort of a competitive race with, um, of course, Cam Fletcher, who's had injury problems. So a door open for Dane Cleaver. Yeah, yes, it has. And um, I'm really, really pleased for him too. As you said, he, he's had some very, very good um, seasons of performance with CD. Uh, he, he bats in the in the top top of the order, so he's opened and he has come in at at, at three, and done a really explosive job, uh, particularly in in T20s. Uh, you mentioned um, Fletcher, and um, similarly, he, he he's very much on our radar too. He plays a slightly different role for Canterbury, where he's a finisher batting around number six. Um, the way we're setting the team up at the moment, we were keen to give Dana. Gain an opportunity, and um, he would um, take his place um, in the top of the order. And keeping wise, really solid. Um, so look, we're and, and I guess this would be um, reassuring for you, Smithy, being a, an ex-wicket keeper. Is the stocks are um, the stocks are good at the moment, and and, and these players like Dane and and um, Cameron Fletcher are coming through nicely. And when you think about Tommy Blundell, um, what he's doing in the in the Test game, Tommy Latham being our incumbent. Um, our incumbent ODI keeper, and you think about um, Tim Seifert, who's probably the unlucky one mm. um, in terms of this white ball selection, missing out. You know, there are some uh, there's some good depth having developed in that uh, keeping space. Gav, let's look at uh, where we're going for this uh, T20 World Cup. It is Australia, and at some of the major grounds around Australia, surfaces. Well, I think by and large, you can guarantee you're going to be pretty damn good. They always are. What kind of bowling attack do you think we'll, we'll need? What, what are the areas uh, that you're going to really look to focus on there? Oh, look, when I, when I look down our, um, our sort of bowling list at the moment, some of the NIC names like Ferguson and Milne, and I see Sodi, I see attacking bowlers. Um, we're giving someone like uh, Rippon a chance to, to push his case, you know, an attacking bowler. I think you're... You, you, you're only going to win a T20 World Cup. And look, I, everyone knows this if you're playing an, an attacking form of the game. So you need, to, you need to take wickets, you need to take wickets up front in the power play, and you need to keep bringing bowlers back through the innings and, and taking wickets. 
So those, those explosive bowlers, I think, are, are going to be absolutely crucial and getting the balance right, and, and, and the all-rounders are going to be an absolute key too. So that's that's the guys like uh, the Nishams and the Mitchells and how they fit into the mix. Yeah, it's interesting, Gavin, you know, and, and you're, you know, as a bowler yourself, it must be heartened by the fact you can take Bolt, you can take uh, Southie and Jameson out of a mix. None of those players will be in either of these two squads, but I, I still look down it and I see some genuine pace with Ferguson and Milne. Uh, in particular, and looking like they're going to be, and I say this with a hand on a piece of wood, uh, their, their bodies are going to be sound and have been for quite some time. So uh, in that department, pretty well served, aren't we? And then you're throwing Blair Tickner, who you've added to the, the test squad as well, and Ben Sears. It's amazing, the depth there. It's good depth, Smithy, um, but you need depth, as, as you know, because it's a hard job <laughs> trying to bowl with 140 clicks and... You know, it's hard on the body, and 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 we and we do pick up um, niggles with 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 those quick guys. So having that depth is is crucial. We've also got a group, I think, in Tim and Trent, um, and in particular, who have proved to be very very resilient over the years. And I'm I'm now touching wood as I as I say that. And, and Matt Henry, I put into that category as well. And so you've you know we've had some stability, I guess, around um, you know being a, the potential to use those guys on a consistent basis. But look, yes, you're right. The depth is there. It does create challenges because we didn't mention Wagner in, in that group mm. either. And, um, no. you know, that's been one of the challenges, Smithy, as you know, is, is, is how, you know, how the decision-making has been worked through over in England, um, you know, arriving at, you know, who, who gets who gets the gig in these test matches because, you know, Wags missing out has been a terribly difficult decision to make. Okay, well, I'll come to the... the, the how we've gone over there uh, in a second or two, if I can, Gav. I, ju- I just want one one or two last questions about uh, the white ball side of things. Uh, where does uh, East Sodi sit then if uh, you're looking at Ripon genuinely as a leg spinner? Oh, look, Ish has um, um, tried, proven. Uh, he's, he's now vastly experienced. And, you know, we, we, we believe, Smithy, he's getting, you know, better better and better with age, um, as, as we know often leg spinners, wrist spinners do. Um, so, you know, Ish is still our, you know, 100%, you know, go-to wrist spinner, attacking wrist spinner. Um, but it's also marvellous to be talking about a Michael Rippon and bringing him into the fold. Um, and, look, he'll, he'll work really closely you know, with Ish um, as part of that squad. Um, and they'll feed off each other, I'm sure. But really, really good to have someone like Rips now, just, just making sure that Ish is aware that he's, he's hopefully got someone snapping at his heels. Okay, and just uh, finally, the the all rounder role, which has been a um, uh, like a Nisham, you know, uh, we saw Nisham, of course, instrumental in, in the uh, the last World Cup in England um, in fifty over cricket. We, you've you've got him floating around the scene as well. Where does Colin de Grandholm fit there? That the, the Daryl Mitchell type player we're looking at there. How, how how do you break those down? Yeah, yeah, uh, sort of the, the three of them are different different type all rounders. Um, you know, Nisham is, again, similar to sort of what I said about Ish. Um, you know, for us, he's a, he, he, you know, all things being equal would be a stand-up starter in an all-rounder's role um, in, in the T20 game. He's explosive and he's got the ability to, he's a bit of an X-factor bowler. He can pick up wickets when you sort of almost least expect it from, from, from Nish. So, look, he's a, he's, a, he's a quality player and I'd certainly like to think that he'll, continue to be in the you know in the frame um, particularly around 
T20 cricket, I'd also stress that that does not rule him out of any, um, you know, IDI, ODI planning either, that he's still very much, you know, a central part of the, 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 the planning around all the use of the all-rounders. Um, Colin de Gronholm is more, we, we see him in white ball cricket as a, as, as a batsman who will offer you a few bowlers, uh, a few overs, Smithy. Um, mm. And um, who was the other one? Oh, Daryl Mitchell is, is, is again, a, a, you know, a, a batting all-rounder who could offer you possibly in T20 cricket a couple of overs at the depth. Mm. Right, OK, let's, uh, let's look at England, Gava. First of all, um, establish in terms of selection and things that happen over there, just for the people at home. Uh, in the old days, um, you know, home-based selectors... Um, uh, home-based selectors used to basically just do that. They they would, if they went on tour, they would have very little say as such. They might be have a, a say in replacement players as such. But is that still the way it is? Do they have a, a tour selection panel as such, or do you get heavily involved now with our communication systems in terms of, say, this weekend at Headingley? Uh, I wouldn't say heavily involved, but I'm certainly touching base with Gary on a on a, on a regular basis because. You know, we've got a lot of forward planning we're doing, Smithy, like, you know, what we're talking about today. So he's trying to shape the white ball team in an, on an ongoing um, basis, thinking about the Windies, which is uh, approaching on the radar as well, then on to the T20 World Cup. And, look, we're already talking about, you know, bigger picture planning around the ODI World Cup in a year and a half's time. Uh, man, we've got a home season that we need to worry about. So there's a lot of communication that goes on. Um, I, I'm not privy to... Um, you know, a lot of the things that are happening inside the camp um, over in England mm. at the moment. Gary keeps me abreast of things. And, yes, he certainly asks for my opinion, uh, you know, from the other side of the world as to, you know, how, how I might think the balance of the team might um, might pan out. But at the end of the day, you know, Gary holds the, holds the reins. He works very closely with Kane as the, as the captain, and they'll pull other senior guys into conversation. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's coach and captain who will make that final 11 decision. Well, we're down 2-0. We've lost the series, Gav, which I imagine you find uh, deeply disappointing. But if we look uh, and break down the performances as such, it's just been uh, two last-day efforts where we, or last-innings efforts, where we just haven't been able to nail it. I guess, um, and, I, and I talk about Lords where we had them five down and then um, in the last one at Trent Bridge, we had them four down in pretty good shape and they've just battered themselves unbelievably well out of it. Is that basically how you see it or uh, did we get it wrong in, in a couple of areas? Oh, yeah, I got, I got a variety of sort of thoughts, Smithy. Um, probably big picture, I, I 100% agree with how you've, how you've summarised it. Um, it has boiled down to some, some key moments, and, and it sounds a bit cliched, but it's very, that's very factual in the game of cricket. If you don't seize the key moments, um, then you know you could be on the wrong end of the result, and I think that's exactly what's happened. I mean, England have played with, I believe, possibly just a little more energy, and I'm probably not surprised with, with you know, the appointment of Baz and, and, and Stokes as the new captain. They absolutely burst out of the gates, and, and we were expecting it. And we were primed up for that. Um, and but I sort of give them full credit for the way they they have played. Been a bit disappointed with our, you know, with two or three of our batsmen. You know, we've we've, we've got some starts, but we haven't kicked on. And you know, when I look at uh, a Mitchell and a Blundell and, and what they have produced in those two two tests, then you know that's been right out of the top drawer. And if we would had just one one other batsman who you know kicked on from starts and put the big one on the 
on the board, it may well have been different. And the only other point I guess I'd make, Smithy, and I'm look, sort of not in the business of making excuses, but you know we went in with the four quicks in that last test. We lost KJ uh, Cole Jamieson um, to injury. You know, and that that removed you know sort of uh, you know 25% of your specialist um, you know bowling horsepower, and that's that that's tough. That made it very tough on on the other three quicks. Um, who were being backed up by a you know a, a rookie on you know in his you know debut and, and Michael Bracewell and that was that was tough on him but look that's not an excuse we should have we should have done better and you're dead right I'm I'm I'm, I'm I am really disappointed being two 0 down in the three three match yeah. series. One of the interesting talking points, and we don't often talk about it, but I've noticed the trend in it in the last few months is our spin bowling um, position within the group, and and we've had uh, we've tried two really already in this series as possibility. I suppose they could try a third one this time around uh, when they name the side for Headingley, depending on conditions. But uh, a lot of people, and I must admit, I find it hard to explain to people at times, Gav, how a guy can take ten, ten wickets in an innings and really not be a factor ever since, and I know it's a conditional thing when we play at home, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also a, it's also a very concerning thing, isn't it, to be fair, that we, we can't find room for that kind of spin bowling brilliance often enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, I 100% agree, Smithy. I, I think the first point for me would be you mentioned the conditions and, you know, we can't underestimate, um, you know, how different cricket conditions can be. You know, playing at home here, and I'm not saying all of our all of our grounds. You know, Mount Monganui we saw, you know, has started to you know take take spin. Um, but when you think about the basin and, and Hagley as examples, you know, it's very very hard for spinners to sort of you know get any sort of degree of volume under their belt in, in those in those games. You play in the subcontinent, and you know the way we set teams up over there is is just totally different. You know, you have three frontline spinners, and you and you're playing 11. Um, but the bigger picture, Smithy, and you, and you are right, you know, I just, we, we haven't quite, you know, arrived at what the right the right recipe is. Um, and, and probably sitting over the top of that is, is, is the fact that we've had such fantastic success from the Saudis, the Bolts, now Jameson, Wagner, you know, who have just led our attack and, and, and won games of cricket, you know, via their quick bowling. Um and, and so where does the spinner sort of, you know, then fit into that? And it, it, look, it's a bit of a conundrum. Um, I'm not giving you any straightforward answer here. I, 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 I know that. Um, but one of the answers is, um, you know, the way that we have used the spin all-rounder in, in the past, you know, the Mitchell Santners. Now uh, we tried Rachin Ravindra, um, who's got a fantastic future. Now Michael Bracewell's having a crack. And I do believe that, you know, part, part of the answer lies in that space. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, Gab. Well, thanks uh, for answering uh, all those questions. We can assume then as the public that uh, Williamson, Bolt, Southie and Conway are all uh, fit, well, uh, if fit and available, will be uh, very much in the reckoning for the T20 World Cup, yeah? Well, we've got the tour before that, Smithy, into the Western Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I'd, I'd certainly, Gary and I'd love to be thinking that we've got a 100% full complement of players to pick from and, and those guys would be, you know, throwing their hands high in the air for selection.
Okay, I think that's uh, around mid-July. You're going to name that as well. So that's uh, two or three weeks away. Gab, thanks very much for your time this morning. I knew you'd turn up on time as well. You always did. Uh, thank, <laughs> thanks for your help. Um, thanks for your help, mate, and uh, all the best with this test match this weekend. Uh, I know it's a dead rubber, but uh, a test win is a test win. And Headingley's been pretty kind to us, so I hope it goes well. Thank you. Thanks, Smithy. Appreciate your support, mate. G- yeah, cheers. Uh, Gavin Larson there, folks, uh, who is the uh, New Zealand Cricket Selection Manager. He controls things from home. Uh, also, of course, uh, as we've just heard, he stays in uh, pretty close contact when they are away as well because there's so much cricket you can never really stop planning. It's 11.24 here on SENZ back shortly. Um, you can call us 0800 150811 uh, and we'll be stumping Smithy very shortly. Uh, and give you that uh, opportunity to be winners there. A number of texts come in. We'll read it in the next half hour as well on the reaction to uh, some of the things uh, Gav Larson has just said, which is uh, quite cool, uh, and uh, also some more stuff coming in um, around about uh, the rugby, etc. as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's been busy. Uh, Anthony said uh, you can't win a game with, uh, with nine lineouts lost and three scrums lost. And that's another 10 or more minutes of possession, which can be the winning of the game. Hope the All Blacks jump on most opposition lineouts like that. Well, Anthony, yeah, they will be doing some homework, I'm sure, on uh, cutting that out. But you know the set pieces from sides like uh, Ireland and the UK, set pieces, they're absolute strength. We won't be pinching nine of their lineouts. If we can get one or two crucial ones, that will be more than and important as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty interesting, actually. Um I, I look at that uh, the selection for that first test match um, at Eden Park on July 2nd with interest. I really do, just to see what they're going there. Just hearing that clip that Tony Johnson uh, would like to see Jack Goodhue at uh, 12 and uh, Rico Ioane at 13. Well, there again, there's another new combination that's going to take some settling, isn't it? I mean, uh, I would just, if I'm going to, I'd just go out. Personally, right now, Havili, Havili at, uh, at 12. Uh, and then I, I just push uh, Goodhue out to 13 to start that test match. And uh, Rico Ioane on, on, on the wing or off the bench for me at the moment. I just go for a tried-and-true combination, which is right now defensively and attack-wise is the best in the country by a country mile as a combination thing. Uh, it's an understanding thing. Havili and Goodhue are just hand-in-glove. They're just going so well together at the moment. And we saw that with the organisation of the, the Crusaders' defence, which they are crucial in, in uh, instigating. And then, of course, on the rare occasions when you, you, you're on attack and then Harvey's kicking game, etc., his tactical kicking, is, uh, uh, just his nous there, I, I think, very, very underrated. So he did have a, a bit of a flat patch. And, of course, Jack Goodhue uh, is uh, always just coming back into form after that uh, run of injuries that he's had. But right now, you'd have to say they are the most uh, impressive 12-13 combination in the country as a unit Test match not too far away. Uh, I'd be starting them. It's 11.32 here on SENZ. Here's Ottawa. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Well, it is that time of the morning, and uh, I'm going to introduce uh, the quiz master for the morning is uh, Joey Bell. Now, Joey had a couple of issues last time around. I'm assured he's been in the nets practicing his technique for this particular opportunity that he's been granted this morning. So, uh, Mr Quizmaster, um, come on in and uh, introduce some guests for us and tell us uh, what uh, we're, we're playing for um, and what are the categories. Thank you, Smithy. It's an honour. Thank you for giving me another chance. I really appreciate it. I know you didn't have a choice, 
but I also feel like, you know, you have faith in me and you would have given me a chance, regardless of if mm. Logan O'Brien was here. So I really appreciate it. Correct. Um, what are we right. playing for today, Smithy? We're playing for a $50 mm. bonus bit and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Try New Zealand Sleep Drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Check out sleepdrops.co.nz. And joining us at the Cree Smithy, we have Luke from Dunedin. And... Um, Three categories we've got today is Stanley Cup, golf, and rugby. What would you like, Luke? Oh, we'll go. We'll have to go rugby. Don't know much about anything else. Okay. Smithy, <laughs> you like that? Yep. I'm happy. I'm yeah. happy. If Stanley Cup, it would have been, I'll tell you what, between Luke and I, if it had been Stanley Cup, it would have been a very short quiz. <laughs> I'll tell you that from, from that point of view. Yeah, okay. Right. Hit us with question one, Joey Boy. All right. Question one. The All Blacks have played the Irish 33 times. When was the first match? So when was the first time the All Blacks played the Irish? Oh, Jesus. It's pretty tough. 1920. Oh, sorry. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Just drop my laptop. <laughs> Just for you, Pete. Just for you people at home, Joey, when he tried to push that button, just dropped his laptop, so don't worry about that. We'll just stall so he can get the questions back up. Um, I'm going to say 1903. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Close, Smithy, close. Okay, what's the right answer? Uh, 1905. 1905? Okay, 1905. Rightio, Luke's still alive. Question two, Joey. Question two. The, which All Blacks legend has scored the most... Sorry, I'll just turn that down. Which All Blacks legend has scored the most individual points in a match versus the Irish? Ooh. Ooh. Um, I'll just go Dan Carter. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Right, I'm going to throw in Andrew Mertens. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right <laughs> in the slot, and away it goes. Oh. Andrew Mertens. Honestly, I would have gone with golf or Stanley Cup, Smithy. I wouldn't challenge you. I wouldn't have even tried. All well, right. I, it was just a guess. i got no idea how Not many really. points did he score win. Have you got I, the answer to I, that? I do, yeah. 33 points, November 15th, 1997. The All Blacks won 63-15. to 15. Oh, well. Hey, Luke, uh, have you got tickets for the test in Dunedin? Are you going to go along? I haven't got tickets yet, and uh, it's going to be a battle to get there, I reckon. Yeah, it is, actually. I look forward to uh, a little visit there to uh, Emerson's and Co., but I don't think I'm going there either. So, yeah, it's always been a tradition, that test match down there. Love it. So, hope you get tickets, mate. Thanks very much for uh, taking part this Thanks, morning. Uh, who's our next... Yeah, cheers, Luke. Uh, who's our next caller, please, uh, Joey? Our next caller is Barry. All right. Barry from... Hi, Barry from Palmerston North. Oh, not that Barry. That <laughs> Barry from yeah, Palmerston yeah. North. Here we, here Hello, we go. <laughs> Look, here's your chance, Barry. You've got a chance to win the sleep drops, uh, and, of course, you've uh, been yeah. question three, and you've also got a chance to win the uh, the 50 bucks from the TAB. So, yeah. Joey, hit him, hit him hard. Hit him hard with hey, that hey, Irish hey, question. Go on. Yes, Barry. Hey, hey, I, I, I wish it was the goal. Hey, hey, but Smithy, how, how good was that US Open? Loved it. 
I'll tell you something else, it, it, Barry. Yeah, if they can, if, yeah. Well, if they can, if they think they can replicate that kind of atmosphere, that kind of following, they're joking because the the Saudis yeah. are left going to buy a crowd. They're going to have to buy their crowds because they're never going to get that feeling. And the same with the Canadian yeah, Open yeah. the week before. Oh, that and that was great, but but even the crowd won't help. It, it, it's uh, no. it, it, it's uh, you know the whole the whole package. They 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 yeah. they'll never get that. Yep. Anyway, okay. I, I, Radio. I can we have a golf question, Slippy? Uh, no, you can't. Next. Uh, okay, Joey's just made a call, you can't. Um, I'm not that fair. Here we go. I think you've got a good chance on this one, though, I'll be honest. The All Blacks have <laughs> scored a total of 937 points against the Irish in their history. Which Irishman has scored the most points against the men in black? Hmm. Five. Um, four. No, I'm back. I'm back, mate. I'm, oh, three. Uh, it, it'll be the first five. I, I just can't. Two. Three. One. Nah. Uh, oh, unfortunately. One of the worst things I've ever seen done on a cricket field. Rodeo. Well, I, I've, I've still got to get it right. Otherwise, he wins without even giving an answer. So, I'm going to have to say... Um, because I've played pretty well against this recently. Johnny Sexton. That's a couple of chips down the Right in the slot, and away it goes. There you go, Barry. Put you to bed again. Hard luck, boy. You're, you're, you're too good, mate. I'll, I'll, um, I'll try and get on in another month. You do that, Barry. You do that. You take the day off work just in case you get the opportunity too, mate. So, uh, uh, Barry from Palmerston North missed out. Kerry from Manawatu is sitting waiting, but Barry never gave you an opportunity. So, uh, <coughs> thanks, Kerry. Now then, uh, we'll have another uh, competition tomorrow around about 11.30. Hopefully we've got a new quiz master. Uh, and we'll just um, we'll, we'll get uh, through that and uh, we'll give you 100 bucks, 100 bucks from the TAB, and the sleep drops will be up for grabs tomorrow. We will be back very shortly here on SENZ in the mornings. All right, so a number of texts that have uh, come in. Uh, hi, Smithy. So with Harvili and Goodju starting, you are saying Moonga is your starting 10. Um, possibly, possibly am. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be averse with Richie Moonga in the form that he's displayed in the last uh, two weeks in particular, starting at 10 for me, but I wouldn't have uh, a problem with Bowden Barrett uh, forming a good combination because at least they're uh, experienced Pretty experienced together, um, uh, 10, 11, uh, 10, 12, 13 there. Otherwise, you don't have a current first choice goalkeeper, uh, goal kicker on the paddock. How would uh, Bodie have looked behind that forward pack last Saturday? Bodie would have been immense, I would imagine, um, and dictating uh, terms a wee bit more, I would think. Uh, but you can't fault. Uh, it, it's speculation, isn't it? Uh, we're only speculating how good he'd be. Moonga was good. He was very good, and he was damn good the week before, and um, uh, the defensive side of Moonga's game was outstanding the last two weeks uh, to add to that. So, yeah, I, I was just looking for that particularly crucial midfield uh, area, Kev, uh, to be honest. So that was just my thought, and uh, they won't listen to it for one second. So um, it really, I wouldn't be worried about that happening and coming to the fore. So some of the Blues leadership and the forwards went missing. Uh, what happened to going to a short line-out when conventional was not working? There was no one in that forward pack stacked with the All Blacks who could make a change. The front row 
of the Blues has been demolished two weeks in a row. Also, the Blues look underprepared as far as coaching. They obviously had not run through different scenarios, etc. For example, what will we do if the line-out is not working? Yeah, well, quite clearly, they just can believe that it was happening that way, and uh, they decided that we'll be um, consistent with it and it'll come right at some stage. Well, it didn't really, did it? It's as simple as that. So, you know, I totally concur with you on uh, those contingency plans, and that is called on-field leadership, and uh, they did not have that in the pack because Bowden Barrett, of course, was uh, the captain of the side on Saturday. I'm not sure who the designated pack leader was, um, I can think of one that was on the bench and Luke Romano, a positive, uh, possible one there. But certainly whoever's making those key line-out calls uh, was getting it wrong, as was uh, Kurt Eklund and those people he was trying to connect with. So not good signs there at all. PJ uh, says, Morning Smith. I believe after Saturday night's demolition of the Blues, Fozzie selected too soon. Akira is the only specialist six and the Blues are still looking for him. He just went missing out there yet again in a big game. Their number eight was outplayed by Cullen Grace, Hoskins Satutu. I heard reports to say that Satutu had a, uh, one of the better games for the Blues. Well, he might have, but he wasn't in the same league as Cullen Grace for me. Uh, although the three-game all-black props got owned and Roger Tuovasashek got subdued. He's not ready for it. Needs NPC uh, rugby. I think uh, that would not be a bad idea either. And they got the wrong coach, the right one, break dances and out thinks every other coach. So... Yes, uh, I think that's uh, it's pretty easy to say that, but PJ, you're absolutely correct uh, when you assume that for me. Uh, yes, uh, the look on Roger Tuovasa's Sheik's face when um, uh, he got substituted by Bryce Heem so early in the second half, I think 47th minute, was uh, something that surprised him, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, the, I think we've answered uh, most of those questions this morning. Uh, someone has just literally come in and said uh, loved uh, Gavin's transparency and honesty, whereas uh, Fox, to explain his BS, yum, yum, yum. As for your midfield, mate, uh, can you replace Foster this afternoon? We're not trying to fly to the moon, just beat a very, very good island team. Combination wins team sport. It's as simple as that. Uh, would Daniel Vittori, be, uh, if Daniel Vittori was fit and available to play, would it be today's, uh, in today as a spinner? Where would he be in today's world as a spinner? <sighs> yeah, well, he'd, he'd be in the side. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, he'd be in our side any day of the week, Daniel Vittori, wouldn't he? You'd have him, you'd have him against Heading, uh, at Leeds at Headingley this weekend. Um, yeah, because uh, not only that, he's just got cricket nows. Cricket nows, and of course, Australia are getting the benefit of that as we speak. And uh, Paddy's come in. G'day, Paddy. How are you? Uh, morning, Smithy. We'll be interesting to see if the Hagley groundsman can create a dry Bunsen this summer. Bunsen being a Bunsen burner with Canterbury boasting each Sody and Todd Astle could be a good chance to experiment. Paddy, you're an absolute genius. Love to see that happen. A spinning wicket at Hagley Oval uh, to back up the fact they've got two, the two probably preeminent leg spin bowlers in the country, Sody and Astle. And what did Todd Astle give up Test cricket so soon? I've never really got to the bottom of that. It's 11.51, time for Staffy before midday. And it's coming up 11.57 here on SENZ. I've had a pretty disjointed show this morning waiting for people to become available, but uh, that's never the case in the afternoon because they have a rock-solid platform. They've got producer Sam Hewitt running a really nice ship. (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, uh, they've got the skipper back in now after a couple of weeks' break, and look what I get. 
Uh, anyway, uh, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing, Steph. I'd imagine you're going to start. You're going to start your show with. Um, some midday madness, I would assume. Yeah, midday madness, and of course with the big Kiwis Tonga test this weekend, Smithy, pretty simple one. Favourite or best Kiwi of all time? I've certainly got some that just spring to mind, probably uh, in the older variety. I'm going back to the Graham mm. Lowe days, you know. I'm thinking Olsen, Philippina, Mark Graham. Yep. Though, you know, yep. I loved Clayton Friend. I loved that era of rugby league. Mm. Uh, the younger the younger listeners, will they'll be probably more the Sean Johnson, maybe David Kidwell. Um, oh, we've had so many fantastic ones. And I just want to go down memory lane for the first hour, Smithy, on our favourite Kiwis. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Steph, by any chance you're going to pop over to Mount Smart for the doubleheader or... I mean, it'll be some atmosphere, wouldn't it? It'll be fantastic. I tell you, I, I was on the shortlist to commentate the game, actually, because Sammy Hewitt has Whoa. got his mum's 60th. But, uh, yeah, I told Rube Dog, the big boss, I said, look, I'll be your last resort. Um, I've only ever commentated rugby and netball, uh, but they were short. But, no, we've got Dale Husband locked in to commentate for SENZ alongside Kempi. So that will be worth listening to, and the atmosphere will pour through the SENZ app. Yeah, look forward to that, Steph. Uh, what else you got on this afternoon? Well, saying that we're rock solid, we're waiting on uh, Gary Belcher to confirm. Hopefully we'll get <laughs> Gary Belcher on. Oh, he's in. Sammy Hewitt, uh, see, rock star producer, said he's in. There we are. We've got Gary Belcher yeah, coming up. Yeah. Uh, Chris Medland, he's a Formula One rider, looking back on the events of last week. Also, James Mortimer, he is the wonderful sprint coach for all of these Jeez, these, these women sprinters that are doing great things. Of course, Zoe Hobbs uh, performing in the Diamond League in the weekend and just uh, what their itinerary looks like building up to the World Championships, which aren't far away, and then two weeks later, Com Games. So talk to him about their progress. Jimmy Smith across the ditch as well. And lots of uh, Sam and Staff irrelevant banter, Smithy. Yeah, there'll be plenty of that. Um, I would imagine, Steph, have you, come, have you come up yet with a back three for the All Blacks? I mean, we're only, what, 12 days out? Back free for the All Blacks? Are there any closer? Um, gee, I want to know if Caleb Clark's fit. Um, I'm, I'm a big supporter of playing people in their position, but <laughs> I'm going to contradict myself. I think I think Geordie Barrett, 15, uh, with his aerial skills. I still think um, we need Will Jordan on one wing. Um, I'd still like to see Rico back at wing, but I think that's that's too far past us now. He he looks like he's locked into centre. Um, Sevi Reese excitement machine. I'm probably no closer, Smithy, on my back three. To mm. be honest, it's it, it's it's an embarrassment of riches. It is. It is an embarrassment of riches, and let's hope they can get the riches with the right sort of combination. Mark Staff of the afternoon uh, showed the folks with producer Sam Hewitt. Uh, talk about getting combinations. Goodness me. Classics. Robbie and I have had to put up with a lot this morning, Robbie and I. Uh, Robbie, of course, has been on panel, getting things sorted. Uh, the other bloke, Joey Bell, has been dropping laptops, drop, <laughs> just missing calls. He's been out of the studio doing <laughs> what knows, I don't know. But anyway, we've got through, and uh, Arava, of course, was her usual professional self. It's been tough. It's been tough. She'll be smooth <laughs> this afternoon. The, sa- the waves will be smooth this afternoon. <laughs> Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.